Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick. Fourth century, right, the 300s AD, one of the lines in the Apostles' Creed says, Jesus descended into hell before he was resurrected on the third day. Now, that's been kind of amended more recently, where they've changed it to say he ascended, or sorry, he descended to the dead rather than to hell. And that's actually a little bit more accurate biblically, and I'll explain why in a second. But this is something that um, is also talked about in other places in the Bible. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that Jesus, who ascended into heaven, first descended into the depths of the earth. And so uh, what this means is that in between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, what did Jesus do? Well, it says that in his spirit, right, he descended into Sheol, and in the spirit he proclaimed something to the spirits of the deceased. So what, what was it that he proclaimed? Well, First, before we answer that, take a look at another verse in this same passage, which is why I tried to group these verses together. So look down with me to chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6, which says this. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, so what is that about? Well, there's a helpful little story in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus tells us. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man and Lazarus. Check it out. Um, The story, unlike some of the Jesus' other stories, this story doesn't seem to be a parable. It actually seems to be a story about two actual people who lived and died. And Jesus is kind of giving us the the behind-the-scenes look, right? Like God's view, stuff only God knows behind the scenes about what happened with these people when they died. So it says that both men's souls went to Sheol. Now, Sheol is the dwelling place of the dead. It's where spirits go to wait. And I'll explain that in a second. But Sheol is a place, basically, understand this. It's the place where all people's spirits went when they died. So Sheol, for example, in the Psalms, David talks about how when he dies, his spirit will go to Sheol. Okay, so Sheol, though, is divided into two parts, or at least it was up until this time. So Sheol was divided into two parts. One of those places was a place of comfort for those who died in faith called Abraham's bosom. The other part was a place of torment called Hades or hell. Now, both of these places in Sheol were essentially waiting rooms, right? They were waiting rooms where the souls of the dead awaited the final judgment. Some in torment and some in comfort, depending how they had responded to God during their lives on earth. And the other thing Jesus tells us in Luke 16 that's really key is this, that it was impossible for souls to cross over from one part of Sheol to the other. It's impossible to cross over. And so when Jesus died, here's here's how we put this all together. It seems that his spirit went to Sheol and he proclaimed the news of what he had accomplished and done in his life and in his death on the cross, right? Atoning for sin to bring redemption. 
And for those who had died in faith, right, who were in Abraham's bosom part of Sheol, who had humbled themselves during their lives before God and cast themselves on his mercy and asked for his grace, right, we call these people the Old Testament saints, right? These are the people like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Ruth, right, and David. They, They weren't able to go to heaven when they died. Why? Because their sins had not yet been atoned for because Jesus had not yet come. The Savior had not yet come to do that work. So they went to Sheol, to this division in Sheol called Abraham's bosom, not heaven, but a waiting place in Sheol. And when Jesus announced to all of Sheol what he had done and what he had accomplished through his life and his death, those souls that were kept in Abraham's bosom were released to go and be with God in his presence, right? That's what chapter four, verse six is talking about. So people ask, well, well so if I die today and I, my faith is in the gospel, my trust in the gospel, will I go to be with God? The answer is yes, your spirit will go to be with God. And then one day there will be a resurrection. We will have bodies after the judgment, right? So it's a whole timeline here. But here's the other part. Those who were in the Hades part of Sheol, when Jesus made this proclamation or this announcement, he he mentions, for example, those who died in the times of Noah when God waited patiently. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that during the time of Noah, while he was building the ark, he wasn't just building quietly, but he was actually preaching that whole time, preaching a message of repentance, calling people to turn from their sins and be saved from the judgment to come. And yet nobody responded except for his immediate family. And so for those who were in Hades, when Jesus made this proclamation of what he had accomplished for them, it wasn't a message of redemption and hope, but for them, it was the message that their fate was sealed. So before we go on, though, uh, let me just take this opportunity to say this. Jesus talked more about hell and judgment than he talked about heaven. Do you know that? Why? Well, because it was Jesus was an angry guy who wanted to threaten people and make them feel bad. Absolutely not. Just the opposite. It was because Jesus cared. It was, it was not a threat. It was a heartfelt plea. I set before you life and death. Choose life. Right? Heaven and hell are real places. Don't go to hell. Right? Go to heaven. I want you to receive this grace. Jesus' heartfelt plea. You see him looking over the city of Jerusalem and weeping. Right? Why? Because he cares. He loves. And that's why he talks about this. He says, don't mess around with this. Life and death are in the balances. Choose life. And guys, I know, I just told you about Sean, right? He just had a physical. Do you know that Sean uh, Gilliam? He had a physical last week. He's in perfect health. And then Friday morning, almost dies, right? Like totally unexpected. And guys, that's the truth. None of us know. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. If for some reason you have been putting this off, right, giving your life to Jesus and and making a decision and putting down your yes and trusting in him and following him, if you're thinking, oh, I can wait, you know, someday, yeah, I'll do that. I'll get around to it. But there's some other things I want to do first. I don't want, you know, doing that to cramp my style right now. Guys, I just want to say there's no promise of tomorrow. If God's calling you today, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. It's time to step across that line and put down your yes and give your life to Jesus. See, in the story that Jesus told, here's what's so interesting. This man who went to hell, his greatest wish, he said, he he begs, right? Let me go back and speak to my family and I'll tell them not to make the mistake that I did. I'll tell them to, to 
heed God's word and give their lives over to him. He wanted so badly to go back and speak to his family and tell them, give your lives over to the Lord, receive his mercy, cast yourself upon his grace and forgiveness. He freely offers it. But what's so tragic in that story in Luke 16 is that the man is told, sorry, you can't. You can't go back. And here's what they also tell him. They said, your loved ones, they have the scriptures. Let them listen to them. Maybe some of you here today are listening to this. You are those loved ones. You're those loved ones and in that story. And I just want to tell you this. You have the scriptures. Will you listen to them? Will you listen to them? Others of you, right? This story about the reality of eternity and heaven and hell and the finality of it all, you know what it needs to do? It needs to motivate you to all the more to go out and carry that message of the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, the love of God, the grace of God. You're a sojourner in this world, but you are a sojourner on a mission. And the souls of those who have passed away, think about this, think about that story. The souls of those who have passed away, they are hoping desperately that you will engage in the mission of God rather than be passive about it. They're hoping that you will be the one to go and speak to their loved ones. See, why does Peter bring up the people from the time of Noah specifically? I mean, lots of people have, you know, disobeyed God and stuff. Why bring up these people in particular? Here's why. Because what he really wants to talk about is the flood. In a way, this whole thing about preaching to those who, those deceased souls is kind of an aside. What he really wants to talk about is the flood. Look at how he starts in verse 20. He starts halfway through the verse. He says, eight people were saved through water in the time of the flood. And then he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. Okay, so he's saying that the flood in the time of Noah is a picture of what baptism symbolizes. Now think about it. It makes sense. The, the waters of the flood washed away sin and wickedness. And they brought about a new world and a fresh start. So they washed away sin and wickedness and brought about a new world and a fresh start. Isn't that what baptism is? Isn't that what it symbolizes? How through Jesus, God has washed away our sins and brought about a fresh start before God? Some people also wonder if here Peter is teaching that baptism is what saves you, right? The act of baptism, the actual water being applied to your skin. And that's clearly not what he's saying. Look at, if you look at verse 21, you'll see that that's, that's not what he's saying, even in the context of this verse. Peter says, it's not the physical action of being baptized which accomplishes this. It's what he calls the appeal to God. In other words, it's what takes place inside your heart and inside your mind as you turn to God and receive his grace. And baptism is a picture of that. So salvation and becoming a Christian is an important step, but it's only the first step in this wonderful journey of this resurrected life. Let's talk about the next part of this. The resurrected life not only begins with salvation, but it requires death. Hi everyone, Pastor Nick Cady here to tell you about an exciting opportunity for women in ministry. If you are a woman who is involved in ministry in any capacity, then we invite you to come to the When She Leads Ministry Conference taking place at Whitefields Community Church on April 14th and 15th, 2023. This is a Calvary Chapel Conference, and the goal and vision of it is to equip you with the tools you need to serve well. To sign up for the conference, go to whensheleads.org, and if you have any questions, 
contact us at info at whitefieldschurch.com. And now back to today's message. Look at uh, chapter one, verse four says this. Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of their life, uh, the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In, other, in order for resurrection to happen, there has to be a death, right? Without a death, there's no resurrection. And here's what's so interesting though. This death isn't just a one-time thing. It's actually a continual, ongoing experience of putting to death. You know, you think about like squashing bugs, right? Like putting to death those things in our lives which would tear us down and poison our souls and not to mention other people around us. In Romans chapter six, Paul goes on, we read part of it earlier, he goes on to say this. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So since uh, we have died with Christ, we are free from our old master, from sin and from the passions of our body and flesh. And now we're free to live for a new purpose. The purpose is to do the will of God. That's our new North Star. We ask ourselves the question, what would God want me to do in this situation? So this week, you know, I was at the church office when we were having our youth Bible study. And, you know, I I overheard some of what they were talking about. And they were studying the Gospel of John. And particularly, they were looking at this passage in which Jesus raised this guy named Lazarus from the dead. And there's this part in that passage where after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says this interesting thing. He tells Lazarus to go and take off his grave clothes. Right, here's Lazarus, you know, looking like a mummy, I suppose, like on Halloween, right? He comes walking out and he's wearing these grave clothes. It makes sense to wear grave clothes if you're dead, but not if you're not dead, right? And so you're alive, so don't act like you're dead anymore, okay? You don't keep looking and acting like somebody who's dead. And for us, we have received new life in Christ, and here's what we need to do. We need to take off our grave clothes. We need to stop looking and acting like people who are dead, because we're not anymore. Look, in his letter to the Colossians, Paul talks about this. He uses this metaphor of taking off and putting on, like your clothing, right? Taking off and putting on. And here's what he says, take off these things. And he says, put to death, squash these bugs, right? The things in you like immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, squash those bugs, right? They're no longer having control over you. You don't need them multiplying in your life and taking over. Take those things off like Lazarus takes off his grave clothes since he's not dead anymore. And instead put on other things. He says put on as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's what Peter's saying here. The resurrected life requires death. Not just a one-time death, but a continual putting to death of the things which belong to the old way of life. And he says in verse 3, You've lived long enough doing these things, right? The things that pagans do. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. He says in verse four, if you you stop doing these things, you know what's gonna happen? People are gonna think you're weird. They're gonna think that you're prudish or that you maybe you, you, you know, have your nose in the air because you're not doing the things that they used to do. But he says, hey, look, you're not living for their approval anyway, are you? 
Are you? Right? Aren't you living now to please God and do his will? So put those things to death. And what will happen if you do? Well, that leads us to our third and final point, which is Peter tells us about the resurrected life leads to greater joy now and glory later. Joy now and glory later. Look how he kicks off verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand, right? The end is near, right? That's pretty intense, right? He's clearly trying to get our attention. The end is near. Look, at in verse 3 of chapter 4, he tells us about the things which correspond or relate to or are representative of the old life, of spiritual death, those actions which relate to spiritual death. Now, he's going to give us a different list of actions which correspond to the new life that we have in Jesus, the resurrected life. And here's, here's what he wants us to do. He wants you to pursue these things, press into them as if your life depends on it. The end is near, so do these things like your life depends on it. And if you do, they will lead to joy now and glory later. So what are these things? There are two of them. Number one is prayer. He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers because the end is near. So we've been brought to God, he told us, by the removal of our sins, by Jesus' death and resurrection, so that now you can have a relationship with him. And therefore, if you receive this, then live it out, right? Connect with God in prayer like your life depends on it. See, in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul told us to pray without ceasing. And what that means is simply an ongoing conversation. Right? How many of you have like ongoing conversations with people that you text them throughout the day, right? Like I have an ongoing conversation with my wife, Rosemary. We just text each other throughout the day. And because it's an ongoing conversation, right? There's never like a big sign off, right? Right. This is Nick signing off. Uh, sincerely yours. I will talk to you tomorrow promptly at 7 a.m. for our, you know, scheduled time of 15 minutes of you know, time together, um, goodbye for now, right? Like signing off. And that's not how we do it because I know that I'm going to talk to her again in like seven minutes, right? So we're encouraged to have this same kind of conversation with God, this ongoing conversation. The last thought before you go to sleep, the first thought before you awake, ongoing throughout the day. And if you do that, you know why you'll experience greater joy? Because so many of us are plagued by anxiety and worry. So many of you have struggles in your life, things that you're concerned about that are going on right now, or maybe you're worried about the future or what's going to happen in a couple years. The fact is that worrying isn't going to help that situation. Complaining isn't going to make that any better. However, we can come to God, the, the God of the universe, the one who actually can do something. You can bring him those needs and he loves you. He treats you as a friend and as a child and he will do what is best for you. The next thing that Peter encourages us to do as if your life depends on it as part of this new life is Christian community. Christian community says in verse eight, above all, keep loving each other earnestly. Earnestly, that means being intentional. It means being committed to each other. It means not giving up on each other. Here's why he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. See, Peter knows that even Christians are gonna hurt each other. And when you get close to people, you're gonna see their flaws. They're gonna see your flaws. But don't give up on each other. Commit yourselves to each other, to other Christians. That's a vital part of the resurrected life. See, we really believe that here. That's why we always tell you all the time, maybe too much, we want everybody in our church to join a group, 
You know why? Because we want you to grow and we fully believe that you will not grow and become the person God wants you to be without committed Christian community, without people knowing you and encouraging you and praying for you. And that's what happens in groups. So he says this, he says, love covers over a multitude of sins. There's a time in speaking of Noah, right, in his life where he, after the flood, he got drunk and he passed out naked. And one of his sons saw him drunk and naked and he went and told a bunch of people, hey guys, look, dad's naked. This is hilarious. Everybody come check it out. Look, dad got drunk. He passed out naked. Let's all look. And, and he's like, come on, gather around guys. But Noah's other two sons, they said, no, we're not gonna do that. And so what they did is they took a blanket and they held it between them and they walked in backwards so as not even to look on Noah's nakedness and shame. And they covered up their father to protect his reputation to protect his dignity. That's what this principle looks like in action. It means when you see someone else's vulnerabilities, their flaws, their sins, you don't tell other people about them. You don't gossip. You don't flaunt it and mock it and make other people see it and gloat over it. No, it means you want them to succeed. You want them to do good. You want to protect their relationship because you love them. So you want to protect their reputation because you love them. Now, this can be abused, can't it, right? Like imagine an abusive husband telling his wife, hey, love covers over a multitude of sins, so don't call the cops on me, right? Now, that's certainly not what we're talking about here. Uh, there are times when the loving thing to do is actually to expose someone's sin and let them face the music for what they've done. But what Peter's talking about here is in Christian community, it's a willingness to forgive others, to overlook offenses and flaws, to not just throw up your hands and give up on people when they don't meet your expectations or if they offend you. Notice what he says in verse nine, show hospitality without grumbling. If you show hospitality, people will give you a reason to grumble, right? That's just the facts. In verse 10, he says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace. Whoever speaks, speak as one speaking the words of God. Whoever serves as one serving by the strength that God supplies. So Christian community is about serving. You know, here at Whitefields, we tell you, we want everybody to join a group, but we also want everybody to join a team. That's how we do things here. Join a group and join a team because we believe, really, that using your gifts and talents that God has given you is essential in order for you to grow as a disciple of Jesus. And look what it says in verse 10, that using the gifts that God has given you is stewardship, right? What's a steward? A steward is someone who has been entrusted with something that's not theirs. And they've been entrusted for it with it, not just to enjoy it for their own purposes, but to use it for the master's purposes. Is this worth asking yourself, what has God given you? Has he given you a talent? Has he given you a home? Has he given you a truck, right? Has he given you uh, a mind, how about free time? How about financial resources? What has God given you? And view yourself as a steward of those things. You've been entrusted with those things from God to use them for his purposes. So as you live out this resurrected life, what will happen is greater joy now and glory later. Throughout this letter, Peter's been reminding us that Jesus's sufferings were not in vain. That 
Jesus' sufferings resulted in glory. And the fact is that as the life of Jesus is in us, as we live out this resurrected life, his life in us, we get to experience that same dynamic as well. That's what Peter wants us to know. That just as his sufferings were not in vain, in Christ your sufferings will not be in vain. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But here's the truth. The good news is, Peter tells us in verse 11, that the strength and the power to do these things, to put to death the old ways, to live in the new ways, is supplied by God. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who comes into your life and supplies you with the strength to do what he calls you to do. It's his work from beginning to end. So what's your part? Your part is to step out in faith and in obedience. It's to say yes to him and then act, right? In faith and obedience. And when you do, he will meet you in that place with the strength that you need to do the thing he's calling you to do. So I wanna encourage you to do that this week. Step out in faith and obedience put to death the old ways, and live out this resurrected life by the power that he supplies. Please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your power. We thank you, Lord, for the power that you supply. And uh, thank you, Lord, for this new life that we get to live in you. Lord, we pray that you would help us as new people who've been made alive to take off our death clothes, Lord, to take off uh, the garments, uh, the grave clothes, the garments of death, and to put on the new life that we have in you. Lord, thank you that we're not on our own in this, that you're the one who supplies the power. So, Lord, may we see ourselves as stewards of your grace. Lord, may we bless others as you've blessed us. Lord, would you empower us to do that this week by your life in us. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.